Good morning. So good to see you. Thanks for being here this morning, especially uh, those of you who traveled at a distance. Uh, a number of you walked in from uh, that live quite a ways away, and I was like, hey, that's outstanding that you, you drove through this crazy Michigan weather. Uh, when I drove in this morning, there was not a, uh, uh, anything falling out of the sky, snow-wise, and so uh, just uh, thankful that we can be here together. For those of you at home, we welcome you as well. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a moment ago, Nick mentioned, uh, thankful that Rocky's back, and uh, Rocky spent the last couple months in Uganda. Uh, both he and Chelsea have been called to Uganda, and the uh, Lord's been doing a, a great work, and, uh, and so Rocky spent the last couple months there, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. You want to say a word, anything? No. All right. <laughs> I failed to ask him earlier, so I'm like, yeah. Was it? <laughs> Note taken. So I, I put out uh, like an overall video that I haven't posted on our blog site, but it should be up. Uh, when you put this put the spot on me on uh, like a video, I seem to just give backs. But you get me behind the computer screen, and I can really pour out my feelings a little more. So on this video, you'll just see fat me spitting out facts, and I'm all nervous, and I just hated it. So there, you'll see like the video and then me and I'll pour out some of my feelings and just overall of what I experienced uh, while I was there the last two months. And really what I experienced was just such amazing, amazing things with these, um, one with the street boys that are still living on the street and homeless. I was really able to pour into them mainly with, um, so they're addicted to the jet fuel oil and I was able to just um, turn out like this big sh uh, like poster board and it affects everywhere from like your your whole body so just pouring out to them and what that has effect on because they just don't know um, they have no idea they just do it because it curbs their appetite and that's the main reason so they they have no idea that it that it affects their whole body like it does and then the other part is these boys that have come off the street and are living um, they're called the residential boys living with uncle mike and we started the Celebrate Recovery, the landing, which if you don't know us, uh, just to give a quick nutshell, it's, it's kind of like AA for Jesus for teens, basically. Um, and I started leading that, and then I kind of handed it over to one of the other Ugandan social workers, Pius, and so he's kind of taken over that. And uh, what an amazing discipleship program this is for these boys. And um, you know, anything like AA, you sit around in a circle and you talk about your addictions. Well, you can't do that with teenage boys, right? So this uh, touches them in a different way, does some hands-on stuff and um, get asking them questions and stuff. So that's going really well, too. So much more, and I could probably talk for all day, but I won't. So check out RaisingUganda.org. Um, our last name spelled with a W, W-R-A-Y, RaisingUganda.org. That post will be up soon. So, yeah, thank you all for your prayers and support. And God's do, did and will keep doing amazing things over there. So, thank you. Excuse me. If you're interested in knowing more, uh, please talk with Rocky and Chelsea. Uh, tell you what um, some upcoming things are and tell you stories of what just happened and what God's been doing. And it's been 
uh, neat and hard at the same time watching God write their story there in the middle of this unfolding of their story. For those of you that know them, those of you that have heard uh, just bits and pieces, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting and nerve-wracking reality, too, because uh, there's still these unknowns of what does the future look like. And that's really our story as well. Uh, there's probably not anyone in here that can honestly answer and say, well, I got it all together. Uh, I've got my story all written. I know how it's going to unfold, and uh, it's all good. Uh, we all walk, and we're all unfolding and, and developing, and the Lord is leading us. And so today, we are going to look again at the Lord's Prayer, which is this prayer that is a reminder that we are not our own, is that as followers of Christ, we've submitted ourselves to King Jesus and following in his ways and uh, in his call upon our life, which is good news. Gospel means good news. We've responded to gospel, good news. And uh, we're going to talk about that here shortly. But we started our series last week entitled Pray focusing on the Lord's Prayer. We talked about how uh, the Lord's Prayer is uh, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. And if you recall, it was not because they did not know how to pray. It's not because they did not pray, but rather they saw the intimacy between Jesus and Father God. These disciples would have prayed from a young age, probably three times a day, very faithfully, but they saw that there was so much more. And so when Jesus taught them to pray, he said, our Father. And we talked about how it is intentional that Jesus talks about the Father God as Father. And we talked about how some of us here have had earthly fathers that have been amazing. Some of us have had earthly fathers here that have been absent or abusive, <clears throat> neglectful, whatever it may be. But we need to remember that it's about how the heavenly Father should project upon us as earthly fathers not us earthly fathers projecting upon the heavenly father. That's not the way it should be. And so easily we write off God because of an earthly experience we had. So father, this father who in the prayer, he protects, he provides, he cares. This is a picture that Jesus paints. And then we talked about the word hallowed or in heaven. And so often we talk about how heaven is this like place you go to when you die and it's far away and God is there and there's this gap between us and we just live here on earth and there's heaven. But as Jesus taught this prayer and as the disciples would have heard it and the word used, the heaven, the word heaven used there really meant sky or atmosphere, meaning that the father was near. It's not this gap that the father was present. And so we have this father who's present, hallowed, meaning holy, set apart, that the name of God is holy. And we talked about how God revealed his name as I am who I am, Aya, meaning whatever I will be, I will be, that he revealed that. And then he said to Moses, hey, you go tell the people that my name is Yahweh. And uh, still meaning I am who I am. Uh, but there was this drawing near that unfolded. Then Jesus said, our father, this drawing closer. And even in the New Testament, the word Abba, which can be translated as daddy, this intimate relationship, but we cannot just leave it there as like, my daddy gives me whatever I want. That's not the point. It is this, this intimacy and obedience that comes with the father, with, uh, with the Abba. And so we walked through and we talked about that last week. This week, we are going to look at the next section of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and that we learn from. But before we look at that, I'm going to invite you to do something that we don't do very often here at this church, uh, not for any particular reason. We just, uh, we just have not been in the habit, and that's a responsive reading. 
And uh, not just to read it today, but to pray it today. And so this is going to be a responsive prayer. It's an opportunity for us together to speak words, to pray words. And so in uh, just a moment, this is going to be on the screen. And I'm going to ask you not just to read it, like, hallowed be your name, um, but to really put the emphasis. So not just may your kingdom come, but this emphasis, may your kingdom come, that we say this with emphasis and prayer and that we mean it and that you reflect upon the words. Then at the end of the second screen, uh, there's going to be words on there that say uh, uh, silent reflection. And we're going to pause and you can reflect upon the words. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. If you're confused, I am the reader. You are the people. All right. So let's pray this. On this day, we come into the presence of our God, praying with our Savior as he taught us to pray. We join with Christians around the world as we say, to those who are poor, to those who are hungry, to those who despair, to those who weep, to those who long for peace, to those who are in the midst of war. Help us to work for the coming of your kingdom. Much is broken, yet we work for renewal, for justice, and for peace. Use us as your instruments. Help us to see the possibilities before us. And give us vision so that our work may be part of your kingdom. Give us the courage to do what you ask of us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, whether those words just fell out of our mouth or whether they were prayed from the depth of who we are, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for knowing our heart. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today. And Lord, I pray that we would be active participants in your kingdom, in the work that you're doing, and the places that you have called us to. So Father, I pray that you challenge us and encourage us and Lord, that you continue to refine us to be more and more like Jesus. We pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we pray this prayer, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We read these words, we say these words, and hopefully we think about what we're saying. See, when we pray this, we, we see that there is something more going on than just what we see here and now. We see that there is a contrast between earth and heaven in this prayer. We see there's a contrast between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. This is why Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, and this is why Jesus said that he was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom. The world needs good news. 
We know how news spreads, whether it's good news or bad news, especially bad news, how it spreads so quickly. But Jesus came to proclaim good news. And as followers of Christ, we're called to do the same. See, good news can spread just as fast as bad news. And gospel is intended to be good news. It means good news. So when we share gospel, it's good news. If it's anything but good news, it's not gospel. That's not what Jesus came to share. And so I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 4. We're going to spend a little bit of time here as we frame in where we're going to be today. Matthew 4, see what Jesus did, how he proclaimed the kingdom and the good news that unfolded through his words and through the action and activity of him and also the people. So Matthew 4, verse 23 is where we're going to begin. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Kingdom is good news. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So we see here in this passage that Jesus, wherever he's going, he's proclaiming good news. He's proclaiming kingdom reality. He's healing people. So along with this, these words that impact the mind and the heart, that there is good activity going on around him. He's healing, that there is change in the world around him. It's not just this spiritual thing. There's change that's happening. I mean, you think of the people who are walking around him with diseases and pain and seizures and demon possession, and it says that he healed them. And of course, when there's good news and there's also life changes happening, there's crowds that gather. There's people that come and see what is happening. And so Jesus would try to describe the kingdom. And he would say that the kingdom is near. You talk about how it's for the poor in spirit, and the persecuted. He would talk about how to enter the kingdom and uh, what it means to advance the kingdom, secrets about it, keys to it. He would describe it in ways like a man who sowed good seed. He would describe it as a mustard seed, as yeast, as a hidden treasure, as a searching merchant, a net down in the lake, an owner of a house, a king settling accounts, a landowner hiring, a king who prepared a wedding banquet. He would talk about kingdom. And for all that Jesus taught on kingdom, kingdom can be a confusing topic for followers of Jesus. Because we see the word kingdom and then we read the gospels and we see the kingdom of heaven and we see the kingdom of God. Like what is this and where is this and, and how does this unfold around us? And in our Western culture, as I've already alluded to, is that we just think of the kingdom of heaven as that place far away where God is and we're not. That distance there. But there's something more. And Jesus said, your kingdom come." Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus very intentionally taught us to pray this way. He wanted his will done here. He wanted heaven, these glimpses of heaven to break out around us. This is what we're to pray for. This is what we're to move toward. So essentially where God's kingdom is or what God's kingdom is, is it is his rule and reign and power being present. Kingdom is rule and reign and power being present here. 
But there was a contrast that was happening. We look at this and we're like, well, I don't guess God rules. Like, it doesn't seem like he's reigning right now. Um, I guess he's got power. And we feel this tension because there's God's kingdom and there's kingdoms of the world. There's kingdoms of lust, kingdoms of violence, kingdoms of injustice, kingdoms of greed and power and hate. And these kingdoms war against one another. And we long for God's kingdom. We long for what we pray for in this prayer. We long for his presence and we long for peace. But we get these other things so often when we turn on the news or we live our life or we just close our eyes and we just hear just this ongoing and just noise. I pray your kingdom come. It's like a pleading. We long for something else, somewhere else. At funerals, I'll often read a passage from Revelation 21, which I want to share here. And it's like this longing fulfilled. Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. There's this closeness. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We long for this newness. We long for the the presence of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the power of God around us as we encounter the brokenness of the world. But Jesus did not say, hey, just hang on. If you have a good 70, 80, 90 years, that's a great run. Just hold on and I'm getting you out of here really quick. Never said that. There's intentionality to your life, to my life. There's intentionality of why we're here, why you're here in this time, in this place, in this season, in this year. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and you have a part in this. Professor Glenn Stassen, who's a professor at Fuller, he said this. He said, kingdom is not about what God does while humans stand by passively. Nor is it about our effort to build the kingdom while God passively watches. The kingdom of God is performative. It is God's performance in which we actively participate. I love this. This is God's performance that we get to be a part of, that you get to be a part of. We get to participate. And our participation begins with prayer. And this is why prayer shapes our perspective, which shapes our actions, right? Prayer shapes our perspective, which shapes our actions. So what we pray about is what we're thinking about. It's what we're consumed about. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's something in the world. We pray about the things that we're most focused on. And then that leads us to action. I mean, of course, we can just start with, with uh, I'm focused on these things and then I'm going to act. 
but we miss an important step because God is, God is active and he wants us to go along with him. Think of the question that I posed at the end of last week's message is that if God answered every single one of your prayers this last week that you prayed, would you know that it was solely God that answered that prayer? And it wasn't just happenstance. For example, like I said last week, is that I, just, I pray for peace. God, give me peace today. So I try to walk in peace. Now, did God give me peace in my day or did I just have a good day? I don't know, maybe both, but I don't really know. But I said last week is that if I stood out there and prayed, like I talked about praying for your ones out there and all those ones said yes to following Jesus and they're sitting in here today, did God do something miraculous? Yeah. That's his kingdom come, his will being done on earth. And there's no doubt that he did that. And so my perspective begins with prayer. And what am I focusing on? What am I giving my attention? And when I'm in the, in the like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, maybe I would have naturally gone this way, but I decided, hey, no, this is the way that I'm supposed to go. So prayer shapes where we're going. Prayer shapes the understanding of kingdom. And when Jesus speaks of kingdom, he's talking about where his will is being done. And there's a phrase that gets used when we speak of kingdom. And it's the phrase already and not yet, that the kingdom is already and not yet. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. Makes sense, right? And this is the tension we live in. This is the tension we feel. We recognize the fact that the kingdom unfolds around us. It's already here, but we experience the tension of other kingdoms battling against it. So the kingdom is already and it's not yet. Let me give an example of uh, not perfect by any means, but what this already and not yet may look like. If you have planned a vacation, if you have planned going to a sporting event, a concert, even lunch after church today, you're existing in a way in an already and not yet. A number of years ago, um, I was able to go to a game at Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field is one of my favorite places on earth. It's where the Chicago Cubs play. Ever since I was a little kid, I've watched the Cubs. Went to a game with my dad and my grandpa when I was real young at Wrigley Field. And so it's a special place to me. So a friend of mine called and he said, hey, I've got some tickets for free. You want to go to a Cubs game? I was like, yes, please, let's go. And then a few days later, he, uh, he said, hey, I got these tickets from a friend I work with in Chicago and sent me a picture of the tickets. And he said, I think they're really good. Yes, they looked really good. And so what we did in these coming weeks is we prepared. Our focus was a little bit more on this coming game. We watched the games a little bit more. We talked about what we were going to do. We, we still lived life, right? We didn't ignore our families. We didn't stop eating. We, we kept doing these things. But our trajectory was moving towards this game. So we were living in this already reality that we were going to this game. We were living life focused upon this. But it had not yet unfolded. Then the day of the game came and my weight was fully realized and it was far better than I ever expected. These were our, these were our seats, five rows up behind home plate. And we walked in and just went, oh, yeah, we had anticipated this, but this is far, far better than we could have ever imagined. 
And not only did we have these seats, we had access to anything to eat and drink the entire game. They would just bring hot dogs or pretzels or whatever to the seats. Or you could go downstairs into this beautiful club and there was all sorts of food. In fact, in one of the innings or two of the innings, I had a plate in front of me with chicken and pasta and a fork and a knife at a baseball game. It was very wrong, right? But there we were. The already had turned into what was fully there. And it was far better than we ever anticipated. And in a way, this is what Jesus is getting at for his followers, is there's this crossroad, this tension we live in is that we as followers of Jesus, we know the trajectory of our life is that we want to follow after Jesus, that he calls us towards his kingdom. There is an eternity yet to come, and we have glimpses of it, and we prepare, we we live life, and we serve, and we're moving toward this point in the future. But we don't just sit and wait and ignore everything that's going on is there's the kingdom is already and not yet. I like how in 1 Corinthians 13, this is from the message paraphrase, so you can look it up in another version if you like, but I just like the way that Eugene Peterson said this. I think this paints a picture very well. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. I love this, is that God has a clear perspective of who you are and where you're at and what's going on, and he's calling us forward toward him. And we, maybe like your drive-in today in the snow, you're like, I think this is the road, and I'm pretty sure that's a car in front of me. You're kind of squinting, trying to figure out what's there. You don't see clearly. <clears throat> but that's the reality of the already and the not yet. We continue to move in this direction. And this is what Jesus announced that he inaugurated when he talked about the kingdom. But the kingdom did not begin with Jesus coming. He inaugurated it and he announced it. But there was a long history. And so what I want to do in just a moment here is I want to walk through, essentially through the Old Testament, and point out kingdom and king and rule and how we get to Jesus and why it matters. And so here's a list of what we're going to walk through. We're going to go from the beginning of time to Jesus. All right? You don't have lunch plans, do you? No, we're just going quick. So kingdom history here. Stay with me as I fly through this here. In the beginning, God created. As creator, he's Lord, he's king. He shares rule with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not king and queen. He shares rule by saying, hey, why don't you rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, all the creatures, and you're going to rule under me as king. Adam and Eve decide, you know what? That's great, but we want to be like the king. And there's a mutiny that happens. And they are expelled from the garden. The relationship changes there. There's a distance there. Sin enters the picture. And so we fast forward, and God is with Abraham, and he enters into this covenant of grace. And in this covenant of grace, he calls his people to rule for God. And one of Abraham's descendants is Jacob, also known as Israel. And Jacob speaks of a coming day when one through Judah will be like a lion with a scepter. 
coming kingly rule of one known as Lion of Judah, you know, as Jesus. So we have Joseph going to Egypt and Moses and Joshua and Judges and Samuel where God still rules through Israel. And God is still king as creator and covenant maker. Samuel, he appoints his sons as judges. That was a huge failure. And the elders, they ask Samuel for a king to lead just as other nations had kings. And so God says, okay, it's not what I intended, but okay, you can have kings. And so we have kings like David and Solomon and their descendants, and there's a number of bad kings that didn't keep God in mind. And they ruled their own kingdom. The prophets come along, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Amos, and others. They speak of a coming king, a coming kingdom. Daniel, in fact, he speaks of the rising and the falling of many kingdoms, but there will be one that is eternal. And there's this rising hope and longing that God would rule as king one day again. Then John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the people are like, Huh? What? What? And then Jesus follows, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the people are like, What? They know the history, they know what it means to have a king and a kingdom. Now, if I were just to start off the message, or if I were to go down to the fountain circle and hold a sign that says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near, what would you or others potentially think? You're probably thinking, I want you to confess your sin, your personal sin, and get religious, go to church, follow God. That's probably what you're thinking. But repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, is a loaded statement in Jesus' day. Because those who heard the words would have known history, who would be anticipating the rule of God again, who would be like, let's overthrow the powers that be. This is why Jesus was so misunderstood when he came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so many people thought that Jesus was going to have a, a, a kingdom like kings they knew around them. Shortly after Jesus' death, a Jewish historian named Josephus, he would write. He's a great historian. And in his autobiography, he told of a time as a young army commander that he was sent to stop some rebel Galileans from a revolt in Rome. And as he approached the rebel commander, he said, repent and believe in me. Now again, we would hear that as like, what? You want me to believe in you like as some sort of God? But that's not what Josephus was saying in his autobiography when he said, repent and believe in me. He was saying, turn from your ways and follow the way that I'm leading. As John mentioned a couple weeks ago, the word repent in Greek is metanoe, meaning to change my mind, change the interior of who I am, to think differently afterwards after some sort of encounter, and to change my plans. So if you were like, I'm going to Schuler's after church, I'm like, repent and go somewhere else, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with Schuler's, but it's like, turn and make a different decision. Turn and go a different way. 
This is what Jesus, this is what John the Baptist was saying. It's laying down my kingdom. It's laying down my plans, my agenda, laying down my rebellion against God because I have set up my kingdom where I am king and I have this reign and every single one of you have a kingdom. Every single one of you have a reign and a rule. It does not matter how young you are or how old you are. You have an influence, a kingdom. And it's whether or not you are king of that kingdom or we allow God to be king of that kingdom. To repent is to put our own kingdom and any other kingdoms aside and to follow Jesus when he says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. So prayer. Prayer forms our perspective, which catalyzes our action. So if we don't pray, we're not directed. Our perspective is different than it would be if we prayed. C.S. Lewis, he wrote these words. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Are we building our own kingdom? Or are we asking God's kingdom and will to be done here on earth? So this is what... I want to give an invitation here. Give an invitation to consider what it looks like for your kingdom to be surrendered. For God's will to unfold in your life. To consider what it would mean on a daily basis. Let me give a few examples of what it could look like just by using the fruit of the Spirit as a model. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit of God working in us and through us. And so what could it look like to have heaven on earth, to have his will break through? Start with love, the first fruit of the Spirit. It's choosing love when love is not quote-unquote deserved or earned for that person you're thinking of right now. Choosing joy when facing hardship. Do you realize that you can be sad and heartbroken and still have joy? Joy is radically different than happiness because joy is something that comes from God's spirit, knowing that although you're facing this hardship right now, there's a God who is providing, who loves, who cares, who knows where you're at. It's choosing peace in pain and suffering. It's choosing patience when all you want to do is lash out at that person. It's choosing kindness towards a stranger or a spouse or a child. It's choosing goodness toward a neighbor. It's choosing gentleness in a loving and respectful word towards the people that you interact with the most. It's choosing self-control when everyone else is just saying or doing whatever comes to mind right away. 
When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just praying about out there and things far away, but we're praying that about our heart and our minds, our relationships and our home and our schools and workplaces and social circles and wherever else I just did not say. And so I think when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It looks a lot like this. It looks a lot like surrender. Because my kingdom is like I either hold it tight or maybe I just kind of like let it, you know, go a little bit. But it's this full surrender. So I want to invite you this week. You can walk out of here ignoring everything that was just said. Um, that, that's your decision. That's fine. But I want to invite you is this week is to consider what it looks like in all the different arenas, areas, interactions, relationships that you walk in, starting with as soon as you stand up out of here. What am I walking in? Is it God's kingdom or my kingdom? How am I going to move through life this week? And when you realize that, hey, yep, I made a decision that is my kingdom. Repent. Kingdom of heaven is near. You can turn and make the decision next time. But it's about acknowledging it and changing and growing. That's why we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I invite you to pray with me. Merciful Father, Father who is near, who is patient, who protects, who provides, who invites us to a life that is good, a life that is full, a life that has a king named Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your patience with me, with everyone in this room, when we return again and again to our own kingdom and we invest and build in our own kingdom without acknowledging yours. And so, Father, I pray that we would be open-handed people this day and this week. Lord, that your spirit would empower us. And Lord, when we fail, when we sin, when we fall, or we get right back up and we repent. And God, we say your will be done. Lord, I pray that for each person that's here today. Pray that for each person who's watching online. Lord, that we would walk in your way, your will. And at the same time, too, we acknowledge that before we can surrender to your kingdom, we just got to surrender to you as king in our life. Lord, for a large percentage of us that sit in this room and hear these words, at some point we have acknowledged you as our Lord and Savior. We've confessed that we're a sinner, that we've been walking in our own ways. We confess belief that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And as the word says, that by belief in Jesus, and his death, his resurrection, we can have eternal life. And so for anyone in this place, will you take that moment here today that you acknowledge that you're a sinner, 
tell God this, that you're walking in your own way and that today you want to repent, that you want to turn, that you confess your sin and your old self that you're going to leave behind, that you're choosing to walk with Jesus, to put on Jesus, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That today would be the beginning of this lifelong journey. So we say that we love you. We're so grateful for this day. Lord, thank you for <clears throat> prayer. Thank you that you care for us. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and wonderful uh, name. Amen.